Let's pray together. Our Father, indeed, we do need you every hour. We come this morning with many needs, and we just ask that you, by your Spirit, would be pleased to meet with each one of us. We come asking your blessing by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning and Happy New Year. My name is Mary. No, actually, my name is Martha. Now, I have some of you worried this morning already. I never liked my middle name, so I've renamed myself Martha. Now, don't worry too much. I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. Do you know what a vuvuzela is? Some of you do. A vuvuzela is a gift that my granddaughter Isabella was given for Christmas by an unnamed uncle, Jonathan. Um, It quickly became her favorite gift. Um, All the other girly things, this became her favorite gift. Vuvuzelas were used during the Soccer World Cup this summer in South Africa. Many players and fans and even those who watched on TV could not stand the noise that was made by them. God calls you and me into relationship with himself. And I struggle with that because of the noise that I hear in the world around me. This is what the world sounds like. Um, I, I can't do it. Um, <laughs> Joseph. Um, actually, Isabella, two years old, can do it better than I can. This is what the noise sounds like to most people in the world around them. Actually, it became Joseph's favorite gift (laughs) that Isabella got. Um, The noise in some of your worlds overwhelms you. For some of you, the noise is sort of like my trying to blow that thing, and there's a little bit of noise there. Imagine 10,000 of those in a soccer stadium going off at the same time the whole game long. That's what some of you feel like you're living with right now, with all of the noise and everything going on with you. We have all of our cares and concerns that are screaming at us for our attention. We have bills to pay. We have issues of health and relationship and work and on the list goes. The high-tech world that we live in only distracts us more and more when we were told that with computers and all of these gadgets that we have that we would have time to pursue leisure and rest and family. But in reality, the emails and the text and the Facebook and whatever else is next that some of you are already into, these things scream for our attention. And many of us do not know how to turn these things off. Oh, we know how to silence our phones. We know how to power down our computers, but we don't do it. And so what happens is we work all day. And then we get home and we keep working. And then we go to bed still working. 
And then we wake up and we begin working immediately because it's right there. We have dinner with family and friends and some of us text. Now that's rude. Um, uh Uh-oh. Sorry, whoever got the elbow there. My goodness. Um, You know what? People even text in church. Now, some of you have your phones out. You don't have to put them up. If you have the scripture on them, that's fine. Um, It's a great blessing in that way and many other ways also, I realize. The issue in our lives is divided attention. We like to say that we're really great at multitasking, um, but what happens is we never truly focus on some of the things that are most important to us. This morning, we're going to see the one thing that must receive our undivided attention. We don't know how to slow down and enjoy people. We don't know how to just be with our family and friends. But even worse, we don't know how to just be with Jesus. I have the greatest intentions every day of spending time with the Lord and hearing his still, small voice to me. But you know what? I get distracted by everything possible. And many of those things that I get distracted with are really good things. They have to do with work. Or they have to do with the needs of people. But the bottom line is that I do not end up sitting at the feet of Jesus as I should. Many of you can relate to that this morning. There's a passage in scripture that I do not like. Because it screams so loudly at me. And it pierces my soul. I've avoided preaching on it and studying it deeply in the past. So this week, we're there. The Word of God screams in our ears that relationship is more important than accomplishment or winning or planning or preparing or performing or doing. In fact, Jesus tells a story about this in His Word. He talks about two sisters. Luke 10 If you turn in your Bibles, if you have it, if not, it'll be overhead in just a minute. The context here is that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to face the cross within a matter of a few months. And here he goes to Jerusalem, but he decides first to go to the home of friends. He goes to the home in Bethany of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Um, Jesus did not go there out of duty or obligation or to get a meal. Why do you go to the home of a friend? You go to the home of a friend for a relationship. Perhaps their home had become an incredible place of refuge for him in his short ministry life. And here he is getting ready in Jerusalem to face ridicule and abuse and torture, and slander, and even death. His friends were going to deny even knowing him, and his father was going to turn his face from him. And he goes to the home of friends. Luke 10, beginning with verse 38, hear the word of God. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Let us pray again. Our Father, our lives this morning are noisy and busy. We're tempted even now to be planning our day and our week. The noise of the needs and the demands are loud and would seek to have us divert our focus from time with you. Father, would you send your spirit to change us and allow us the grace this morning to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Simple question. Do you identify mostly with Martha or with Mary? Martha is the type A busy one worried and preoccupied about just about everything, seeing something that needs to be done and not able to rest until it is done, unable to slow down, to enjoy life and other people. If you've been planning your week mentally, even while you're sitting here this morning, you might be Martha. Martha is the owner of the home She invites Jesus in and she immediately busies herself with all of the preparations, good things. She's taking care of Jesus and others and their physical needs. She's on steroids, though, working, working, working. And as she works, her attitude gets worse and worse. Because there she is working. But she sees her sister who is not working. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary takes the position of a disciple, a learner, a lover of the Lord. She's not preoccupied with all of the preparations. She's being still. Mary is the one who could stop and shut out the concerns of the world. She was single-hearted and could let something go undone. It was okay just to rest. And she knew how to be with Jesus. In your bulletins, there's a name tag. And if you're bold enough, I want you to identify yourself this morning as Martha or as Mary. Now, for some of you guys, you're going to have a hard time writing Martha or Mary. I understand that. Um, If you have to, change it to some other biblical character that might fit the mode. Um, For Martha, it might be Peter. For Mary, it might be John. But at least identify yourself this morning as Martha or as Mary or as one who has those tendencies, perhaps. My name is Martha. If you do not know which one you are, you're not Martha. What's the big deal with this story? 
I mean, really. We've heard this story of Martha and Mary perhaps many times, but sometimes we've scratched our head about the meaning of it. Let's look first at Martha. Martha invites Jesus in, and she's serving the Lord. What's the matter with that? Verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, Martha invited Jesus in, but note that Jesus is the one who came. Jesus was coming to visit and spend time with his dear friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Martha invited Jesus in, but then she did not spend time with him. Jesus comes to us, and he knocks on the door, and we open the door, and he comes in to fellowship with us. Do you have time for Jesus? He's there, and he comes for relationship. Do you invite him in and spend time with him, or are you too busy for that? Martha loved Jesus. And Jesus loved Martha. He says to her, Martha, Martha. And in the culture of the day, when a name was used twice like that, it was always used as a term of endearment. It shows his tenderness in responding to her. In the Old Testament, David, when he hears of the death of his son, he cries out, Absalom, Absalom. And then Jesus, as he weeps over Jerusalem... He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. For much of my walk with the Lord, I did not understand why Martha is rebuked here. She's working hard, and she really loves Jesus. She just did not get the value and the importance of relationship. Relationship always means slowing down. Relationship always means slowing down. Some criticize Martha's hard work in ministry, but that cannot be the case. If we just look at the context of Luke 10, we see that. At the first of the chapter, Jesus is sending out the 72 to work and to minister in his name. And he says at the beginning of Luke 10, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And they're going to work. And then immediately prior to Martha and Mary is the story of the Good Samaritan. And the true neighbor was the one who had mercy on the one who was half dead in the road there. And Jesus told the teacher of the law, go and do likewise. There's a call to love others, even in this chapter, in concrete, practical ways. Martha is being a neighbor to Jesus. And he's preparing, she's preparing a meal for him. And yet, she is rebuked. What's the deal? Martha is not criticized for working, but rather for the heart and the attitude. In verse 40, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha cannot slow down and just be with Jesus. She's become anxious and distracted over all the noise 
in her life. She becomes critical about a loved one, Mary, who was more about relationship. Martha had expectations for Mary, and Mary did not meet them. Martha also had expectations for Jesus, and he did not meet them. And Martha, in this passage, is probably not just ticked with Mary, but also with Jesus. Now, we know that Martha loved Jesus, and she did not know how to just be with him. She had to be doing. Some have called this the Martha Syndrome. Never slowing down, taking on every task and responsibility that comes along. It is an issue of control. And many here this morning would have to say, my name is Martha. One problem in our culture is that our culture values the Martha syndrome. The one who just works and works and works. We could tell someone that we work really hard. And in our culture, we would be validated, maybe even praised. And yet Jesus might be saying to us, Martha, Martha. From time to time around town, I see a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Some of us have bought into that mentality. We have been saved by the beautiful, scandalous grace of the Lord Jesus. But then we set about working ourselves ragged, trying somehow to improve our status with God the Father. That is what this story is all about. Jesus wants us, not just our labor for His kingdom. He wants our hearts and our attention and our focus. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things. Martha looked busy, and that only served to show that she missed the point. The heart motivation was what mattered, and Martha was missing that pure relationship. Be assured here that Jesus is not condemning work. He calls us to that. Jesus wants to get to Martha's heart motivation, and he wants to get to our heart motivation also. Let's look for a minute at Mary. Some would say, well, Mary, isn't she just being lazy? She's not even helping her sister with all the work. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary is sitting and listening. Mary was a woman and in the culture should not even have been at Jesus' feet being taught. That was taboo in her day and in her culture. A woman was not to be taught by a rabbi or a teacher. But Jesus once again turns everything upside down. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary was always at the Lord's feet. In John 11, at the death of Lazarus, Jesus comes. He's the brother of Martha and Mary. Jesus comes, and Mary, we're told by John in verse 
chapter 11 of John, verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then in the next chapter, John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany again where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, of course, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure, expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now Mary did not have some type of foot fetish. She had a singular focus, and that was her relationship with the Lord Jesus. Mary loved Jesus, and Jesus loved Mary. It's very difficult for us to live a married life in a Martha world. The culture we live in, and even the church culture that we live in, generally does not get excited about the Mary lifestyle. We're usually about Martha, busyness and hard work. What keeps us from spending time with the Lord? Most of us would say busyness. But you know what? I have time to do the things that I really want to do. I mean, I watch every week Hawaii Five O, <laughs> And I read my novel. And I do some other things that I want to do also. The truth is, we have time for that which we truly value. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and learns the truth of what is truly valuable, which is relationship with the Lord of lords and King of kings. Let's spend a few minutes as we close here thinking about this. What does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus In contrast to this Martha syndrome that we have seen, this is the Mary solution. What does sitting at the feet of Jesus mean for us? Well, first, it implies relationship and trust. Do you believe right now in your situation that Jesus is going to show up? Do you really believe that in your circumstance he's going to show up? Do you believe that Jesus is sufficient for your situation? When I worry, and it is a besetting sin that I have that can consume me, I am listening to the noise of the world. And part of that noise of the world says that Jesus can't really handle it. Yet God's Word tells us to cast all of our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. Right now, in your situation, many of you need to know that Jesus really cares about you. Sit at His feet. That is the only place that you're going to truly hear from Him. Sitting at the feet of Jesus implies learning as a disciple. It means listening. How do you do with listening? Someone close to me this week told me that I do not listen very well. 
Now, I made my defenses, and some of you are looking for Rita right now. She was supposed to have nursery duty. She's not the one who said it. Um, But there was truth to that. As much as I don't like it, I don't listen real well. Sitting at the feet of Jesus means that we listen. Sitting at the feet of Jesus implies a humility and a submission. We're not real good at that one either. I can remember a number of years ago, um, 22 in fact, when Jonathan and David were born and they were in the hospital for 40 days. I can remember driving back down to ORMC before Arnold Palmer was there and absolutely finally submitting to the Lord, saying, okay, there's nothing I can do. You're in control. Sitting at the feet of Jesus means that we submit in humility to Him. It implies a worship and a devotion. It implies being empowered to serve well. Now, when you joined this church, or perhaps another church, you've taken a vow saying that you will support the worship and the work of this church to the best of your ability. How do you do that? You support the worship and the work of the church by worshiping and working. Worship begins with sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it's the only thing that sets the context and gives the energy and the motivation for our working for Him. Work for the Lord is great and it's needed, and a church cannot be what it's called to be without your using your spiritual gifts to do that. But it should follow and be empowered by strength that's gained while you're being faithful in sitting at the feet of Jesus and worshiping and listening and learning. A TV documentary told about the cheetah in Africa and how it survives on the plains there by running down its prey. This big cat can run 70 miles per hour, but that pace cannot be sustained for very long. For within this beautiful body of that cat is a very disproportionately small heart, which means that the cheetah tires quickly. So if the cheetah does not catch its prey quickly, the chase is over. And sometimes we as Christians seem to have the cheetah's approach to ministry and to life. We jump into things and things that need to be done, many good things, but we seem to lack the motivation and the stamina and we fizzle somewhere along the way. We don't need more speed. We need more stamina. We need more staying power. And that comes from a bigger heart. And the bigger heart and this staying power only comes from sustained time sitting at the feet of the Lord. Sitting at the feet of Jesus means undivided focus. The one thing. Many of you remember the movie City Slickers. Three middle-aged city guys facing personal crises in their lives decide to sign up for a two-week cattle drive for a change of pace. 
It proves pretty tough, and they have a trail master that is relentless, Jack Palance, you will remember. And along the way, Jack Palance turns to Billy Crystal, and he says, Do you know what the secret of life is? And, of course, Crystal responds, No. What? Palance holds up one finger and says, This. And Crystal jokes, Your finger? Palant says, one thing, just one thing. Crystal says, that's great, but what's the one thing? Palant says in a knowing way, that is what you've got to figure out. The truth is, we as followers of Christ don't have to figure it out. Jesus has already given it to us. Verse 42, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. The truth is we live in a busy and a loud world that would consume us, that would tie our hearts in knots and that would lead us to nonstop worry and anxiety day after day. The noise is overwhelming. And then we feel guilty and we feel weak and we want to give up. What is it this morning that can quiet our fears and our anxieties? What is it that can give us strength and peace and encouragement in this new year? The answer is like a new technology that was developed over the past decade or so. A number of companies now market headphones that emit what they call anti-noise. Time Magazine writes this, The principle behind all anti-noise devices is the same. Noise is basically a pressure wave traveling through the air. Anti-noise is the mirror image of that wave, an equal and opposite vibration exactly 180 degrees out of phase with the noise to be blocked. When noise and anti-noise collide, they interact with what is called destructive interference, canceling each other out. Some of you have those noise-canceling devices to help you hear pure, uncluttered music. And in the same way, the truth from Jesus sitting at his feet can cancel out our worries and our fears with the anti-noise of God's truth. God's truth is the only thing that will cancel out the noise of the world in which we live. This morning, I invite you to sit at the feet of Jesus. You may be Martha. You may be Mary. Now, Zach talked about New Year's resolutions. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. I weigh the same this year as I did last January 2nd. Um, And Zach, I didn't get up last night and go exercise. Um, I thought about it, but I didn't do it. Um, And my finances, I usually try to make a resolution about, they're about the same this year as they were last year. Now, I need to work on those, and maybe you do too. But by the grace of God... I desire for me and I invite you in this new year to sit at the feet of Jesus. Your year will be different because of it. So what? What will it mean for you to sit at the feet of Jesus in 2011? 
Well, let me just say that all of us need private time with the Lord. Zach talked about reading through the Bible in 2011. Um, On our website, orangewood.org, you can do that day by day, and I want to encourage you to do that. Some of it for you may be joining others and being in a small group. And some of you are in a small group, and some of you would like to be, and if you'd like to be and are not, um, please call me and talk to us. We really want to have that be an emphasis this year. And then one very practical thing that you can do that will take some energy and some time from you is give eight weeks, the next eight weeks, earlier on Sunday morning, to come and sit with others in our equipping centers. We're going to be doing a new series that Tim Keller does. It's called Gospel in Life. Grace Changes Everything. Let's look at Tim's trailer here. How do you live out the gospel in life between Sunday morning and Saturday night? How do you live out the gospel in life between the world that is and the world to come? And how do you live out the gospel in life between mission and discipleship, evangelism and justice, cultural engagement and distinctive practices, between your Christian community and the community around you? Week one opens the course with the theme of the city. Week eight closes the course with the theme of the eternal city. In between, we will look at how the gospel changes our hearts, brings us into community, and is lived out in the world. Gospel-shaped people are enabled to form deep community. And yet, only in deep community can we become gospel-shaped people. And if I gave you a test on justification by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, through the uh, substitutionary work of Christ alone, you probably get 100% on that test. But that does not mean your heart believes it. Justice, then, is just love in action. It's bringing shalom. And justice is something, the Bible says, we owe our neighbor. And if you really want to change, and if you want to really pound the gospel more deeply into your heart. Jesus Christ must become your overmastering, positive passion. The gospel changes everything. Sitting at the feet of Jesus changes everything. I hope you'll join us next Sunday, 9.15. The class is open. We'll start about 9.30. You'll be glad that you came to be challenged and to sit there with others at the feet of Jesus learning. May God work in our hearts and our lives in such a powerful way that we can truly say at the end of 2011, whether your name is Martha or Mary, I've learned what it is to sit at the feet of Jesus. In a few minutes, there's going to be a time of confession and you will be invited to come and partake of the Lord's Supper. During that time, or before, or after it, during the music, or whenever, you're invited to go and kneel at the foot of the cross and do business with your Lord Jesus. Spend time at the feet of Jesus, whether it's here at the cross 
or whether it's in your seat there. Verse 42, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is the only thing that will convince us that Jesus will show up, that Jesus is enough. Those who sit at the feet of Jesus will never have their place taken from them because Jesus died to purchase our permanent residence right there at his feet. Are you an occupant of the residency that Jesus has given to you? Let us pray. Our Father, we need you this morning. We need to hear you. We need to sit at your feet. I ask that you would give us the guts to say no to the noise which invades our world. Father, work deeply in our hearts so that we value time at your feet. Let us know in the depths of our being the love that you have for us. And let us have such confidence in that relationship that we shine as your ambassadors in this world. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name.